Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into another episode of The Buster Show. Today, we have my friend, Nima Vand. He is a What's digital up, How are you? media creator, and he has a podcast it's called Off Brand. My friend, thank you again for being here. Dude, it's a pleasure to be here and connect with you. I'm so, talking cars is like right up my alley. So this is, this is always a fun thing for me to do. A hundred percent. Let's just start it off talking about cards. Right before we came on, we were, ha- we were talking about what we're passionate about. So why don't you give a little bit of background on your card passion as it stands. And then a little bit later on, we'll get into you as a business person and, and everything else. Yeah. So, I mean, here's the thing, like I am a new, new player in the card game. And I think a lot of people might relate to that position because it's when you go on to like YouTube and you come across people who are heavy in cards, Buster, you're, you're heavy and you, you have a background with cards. I think the intimidation factor can be sometimes really high. You're dealing with people who've just been in it forever. They're super knowledgeable. They're talking about things that like, Six months ago, I didn't know what the hell a PSA 10 even meant at all. And so there's a really like huge intimidation factor that you just kind of have to like turn your mind off to be excited to learn about it. And then, you know, as you learn more and you get into the hobby, you start to realize that like this is a cool thing that you can also make money on at the same time. And that's kind of a perfect world for me. So I've just... I've just been reading up, you know, 1.37 PM drops a lot of heat in their, you know, articles about stuff that have nice. really taught me so much. And I'm super into it now. It's been four or five months and it's like, there's like no turning back. So. I love it. Are you most into basketball and vintage or are you looking where, where are your eyes? I own a singular baseball card. I'm going to hold it up right here. And I bought it like on a whim. It's a Cody Bellinger card. And it was just for like Dodger pride. I'm very heavy in basketball. I grew up watching basketball as a kid. I'm, I'm a firm Michael Jordan is the goat believer, you know, like I'm in that camp, that generational camp. And, uh, yeah, I just, it's the sport that I'm most connected with. I love football too, but football cards don't seem to be as prevalent in the space, at least in my experience. Um, baseball is obviously has a long standing history, but I just know the most about basketball. So it made the most sense for me to get in, in an industry that I knew about. You know? I think it really just comes down to the fact that uh, basketball players are more famous. There are fewer of them. They don't wear helmets, so they're super visible on TV. When they take a free throw, you see them. Whereas when anybody does anything on the football field, you don't even know what they look like. So I, I think that's kind of the base of it. But also, if you got in, well, in the last since quarantine, the card market's gone crazy, right. and there hasn't been a game of football played. So I think that probably also is a small bit to do with it. But I don't think football will to your point, ever catch up with basketball and baseball is all just guessing. (laughs) Basketball, you know, what's also unique about basketball for me is that it's, it's really like positioned in pop culture. Like the sneaker culture is huge. I mean, I just watched a YouTube video the other night because I was bored of like LeBron James on stage at Staples Center with like Drake, you know what I mean? Like it's crossed over into like hip hop and shoes and now cards. I, I don't know of a sport that's done it quite as effectively as basketball has. And so, again, for me, my interest, if I'm going to like be spending my money and reading articles, 
it has to be somewhere that I'm interested in. And, and again, like I'm also a, a 90s wrestling fan. Like I love the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan. Like I love it. it was the best thing. So I'm just going to start buying like vintage WWE cards because again, interested in that. Like that's me. So I love that. Yeah. That's Actually, it's funny because Gary and I will debate all day long. He says the Macho Man is the most, is the greatest wrestler of all time. And it like nothing aggravates me more than that statement because why what's your thought oh i think without i mean i think hogan is is the most prolific wrestler of all time but i i just i don't know i, I to me like it's hogan or the warrior man the warrior might not have been the most well let me put it this way hogan's the most prolific wrestler but bret hart is the greatest wrestler of all time is what i would say i'm not as familiar with with wrestling in general and especially wrestling in the 90s is that like the lebron jordan debate of wrestling I would say Hogan, Macho Man, and um, maybe Andre the Giant and Bret Hart are sort of the four dudes that really like vintage dudes that came up to find the, the, the whole generation, the whole industry, and are probably would be like on a Mount Rushmore. If I had to pick four people, I'd be those guys. I love that. So, yeah. that's, that's one of the best things about cards in general is especially now with the depth that everything is going to. If you're a golf fan, you can buy golf carts and okay. some vintage golf carts are selling for a hell of a lot of money. When you look at the goats of any sport, you can look at the goats of tennis, like the Roger Fetters, the Rafael Nadal's older. You look at golf, you look at Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods. These things are going for big money and you can find, you know, whatever point you can get in on, whether you have a couple hundred dollars to spend or a couple thousand, wherever it is, there are cards that you can find that will appreciate long-term, you know, in that. And I think to, to your... I talked about uh, like the WMB or not WMB, excuse me, women's soccer being like a huge... I remember, yes. Yeah, I mean, you, you, so Buster told me that. And when you said that to me, it was like a light bulb went off. I was like, wow, like talk about like a completely untapped market. I'm a huge women's World Cup fan. Like, I look forward yeah. to it every time. They're it the best. It's crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, so it's just, I was like, well, like that's something that I think you could get in at a very cheap level now. And especially when the Women's World Cup comes back, if the card market is consistently growing and you're getting those cards now and the Women's World Cup comes back in two years or whenever it's going to come back, it's going to explode. It, the appreciation will be through the roof. And so that's a market that I'm looking at now that I wouldn't have looked at before. A hundred percent. Right. I also think... To, to that point, just women's sports in general are so underrated in the card right. world. It, they don't get any love right now. And that's ridiculous. Totally. You know, especially when you look at the goats, like the Serena Williams, some of like the Simone Biles of the world, just some of the most prolific athletes in general. Right. Cards you can get like steals. I and think, I think that, like, you know, and I think really Kobe Bryant, like, you know, rest in peace to him, L.A. legend. But I think Kobe really elevated that conversation by bringing so much awareness to the fact that, like, women's sports, like, he was such a champion for women's sports that it it got me more interested than I already I was already interested. And then it got right. me, like, more interested because someone that I grew up watching was such a champion for that industry. So, yeah, I mean, it's. That's the beauty of cards, man, is like it, it almost takes something that you're interested in and then like 
magnifies it a hundred times, at least in my experience. So, uh -huh. and, and why I wanted to do this with you was I just really wanted to like offer the perspective of someone who's new, newer to the game, who, mm -hmm. again, there's a wealth of information out there and you just kind of have to like learn as you go, but it's also like really fun to learn as you go. So it's not like yeah. you're a history book, you know, you are kind of, but you know, I, I'm just really enjoying the process more than anything. But the history books also being written every day. Like when you told me that before, I was like, everybody's a rookie. I'm a rookie. Like Gary's like, we're all rookies because right. it all changes every single day. And if I could predict the future, I would be a billionaire right now. I can't. Nobody can. And that's the fun of it. And let me let me let me tell you where that's not fun sometimes. And that's part of the journey is I bought a Giannis rookie card, a 10. And, okay. you know, right now with his poor performance in the playoffs, that card has gone down a couple thousand dollars below what I bought it for. And I think that for me, one thing that's really kept me sane in this process is that I see this as at least at minimum three to four year involvement for me, if not longer, if not indefinite. So I am really like key to not get rattled by something like that. I, we've talked about this. I know that the market's going to go down during the off season. That's natural. So, you know, I just don't, I don't get rattled by those like short-term losses. It sucks. It sucks to like have your card be cut in half in valuation, but right. it's part of the game. So, you know, Totally. It is, it is the stock market for cards, yet it's a lot, for some guys, it's a lot safer. And for some people, it's a lot wiser than other things you could be doing in the sports realm with your money. You're a lot better off buying a Giannis PSA 10 and that going down a couple thousand now, when obviously it's going to double the second next season starts or the second he leaves Milwaukee in free agency or re-signs. Either or, the attention from that spikes the value. But besides the point of that, um, just the market, the market in general being a better alternative for people in contrast to you going out and betting on the Milwaukee Bucks versus Miami. Because you're like, oh, let me put X that I spent on a Giannis rookie card into them beating the Miami Heat. And I make a couple thousand off of them doing it and they fall down, you're going to be destroyed because there is no long-term value. There is no fun. It, there's no community in, in betting on that game, whereas you get all the complete opposites by buying that PSA 10, even if it goes down short-term. Totally. And I, what I also love about this is, and this is something that like, I, I guess I don't see a lot of, Gary's mentioned this a few times and it's really stuck with me, is like, I'm a huge Charles Barkley fan, right? Yeah. Like huge, I just think the guy's hilarious. I love his comments, yeah. like his churros videos. I can watch that shit all day long. And like, I bought in my first Charles Barkley rookie. It's a PSA 9, right? Yeah, nice, 86 Fleer. 86 Fleer, PSA 9. I was totally priced out of the PSA 10. No shame in that whatsoever. It was just, I was not in the financial position to drop like $6,000 on a Charles Barkley rookie card. So I bought a nine and there is something really fun and tangible about having this in your hand. Like it's, it's actually, it creates a connection to the player. And also it's, it's just, you really feel like you're owning a piece of memorabilia and I've collected memorabilia from shoots that I've done. I work in the production world in LA. So I have 
we did a thing with like Jay-Z back in the day and I made him sign a poster for me and it's like framed in my house. Oh, hey. Yeah, and like I also did, I have like a Brett Favre signed ball, like just little things on shoots that I like ask people yeah. to do. And I'm more stoked about these cards that are not even personalized or autographed or anything just because it took, I guess, more work to get here with these cards, like more research, more fighting it out on eBay. And yeah, so again, having something tangible is really, I think, very underrated, you know, for 100%. me. percent. And I'm sure, you know, this is definitely true with myself. And I'm sure it's true with you as well. Like when I, for, when I first got into it, I couldn't afford anything in the hobby. Totally. Literally the best card I had, I can't even remember. Well, I... I got lucky and then also unlucky. I told you the story about the fact that I had a Giannis RPA and traded away for a Kyrie auto. Like I've also had the Giannis prism, like all that aside, I didn't have very nice cards, but to be able to get some of those cards that I wanted, you know, five, six years ago. And now it makes it all the more special, um, you know? Totally. So. And we were just talking about this off air that like, you know, we're both moving or trying to move into more vintage cards these yeah. days. And one of the cool things is it really feels like you're owning a piece of art. And one of the bad things is that we're priced out of a lot of it. Like vintage is super expensive. And I never feel bad about not being able to afford the card that I want. Like, or I'll go down levels in PSA that I wouldn't do on regular cards, but I'm willing to do that. Like I would never consider a PSA three or four unless it's, it's a vintage card. And so you know, for me, it, that's part of the fun and it's part of the growth. And maybe you get some newer cards that appreciate over time and you want to sell a bunch of those cash out and buy your first vintage card. Like there's so many ways to get into that. And so that's the part that's really just been like a fun experience for me is just like maneuvering my way into different cards that I might not be able to afford at that moment. Or how do I, how do I get there? So a hundred percent. Um, yeah, I mean, and nobody should ever spend more than they have or more than they should ever. Totally. No matter what. Totally. Definitely totally. don't put, put yourself in a position where you need something to do well or need something. When you put money into any, any investment, you should be prepared to lose every dollar. Exactly. Exactly. Which is a sobering thought. You know what I mean? And right. Um, people who like myself who are new to the business who don't have maybe a long-term historical appreciation for cards when you read about like the great card crash that happened in the 90s because the market was saturated by overprinting of cards that's terrifying I mean it's a terrifying reality when you're sitting on cards that you've invested your hard-earned money in so the well, the moral of that, of what you said and what I'm saying is to just like really do your research. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but like, this is your money at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like whether you spend it on a cup of coffee or on a $1 card, it's your money. It has that you put value and work into it. And so I just really implore people to like, take the time to really research what, where they're putting their money. A hundred percent. Um, I want to dive into, I know you have a few cards there. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm going to, I'm going to show you some after that. Um, did we talk about the fact that we, did we say that we're on the same group chat with a bunch of guys who buy cards and talk about cards all day long? Oh, it's the best. You got to surround yourself with people that share the same interests in everything, but in cards, especially because that 
they were, we have, we're in this chat, the it's a national chat with a bunch of fellow um, people from all, all different areas, but with the common all walks of life, all walks of life. Yep. Everyone's genuinely very cool, very interested in the industry. And what I was telling Buster before we started recording was like the amount that I learned out of that group chat, like I'll just sit and read the messages because it's so important to see what your peers are buying, what they're high on, what they're not high on. I learned more from that. I think that and the, and the 137 PM articles really, like they've really committed to like educating people on cards, probably better than any mainstream publication I've come I agree. across. I agree. You know, yeah. So like between those two things, like I've really learned a lot because outside of that, when I come across articles online, sometimes like it's written, I find that it's written from the perspective of people who are either just like slanging cards all day long or have been in it for 30 years. And I, there's a little bit of like a lack of relatability from where I'm right. at in my life where I'm like, okay, like you're buying $200,000 worth of cards. Like I have nothing that I can relate to this. So I, I don't know. I just, I think it's like, find people who are interested in it, who like what, who enjoy talking about it. Cause that's really a source of like a untapped resource of knowledge. A hundred percent. I completely agree. Um, did you want to show a couple of what you've, uh, my favorite cards or yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I have like stacks of cards. So I will tell you, I am super, super high. Let's start with like the newer guys and we'll end with the older guys and I'll go perfect, quickly. Perfect. So I am super, super high on Luca. Like, I don't, I don't care. Like if he is the man's got knocked out, I don't care. Like, this is my Luca PSA. Back, you know what I mean? And I literally like, I just, I, I will buy these cards all day. I think Luca is the next face of the NBA and I'm a firm That's believer. Very nice. I think he's on pace to become this like Larry bird magic Johnson hybrid player, you know? And so I'm super, super high on him. I think they are one, I think he's one championship away from this card exploding. Oh, for those listening on audio, it's a Luca PSA 10. Yep. Yeah, Panini Prism, Luca PSA 10. Yep, standard rookie card. Very yep. nice, classic base Prism. And you held up how many, 10? I have 12 of them. 12 of them, oh my the God. The only card that I've really stacked, man. Like I'd only stack a lot of other cards. Some of that's financially uh, driven. I just don't, you know, I'm not in a position to stack major vintage cards. So when this card was priced pretty, pretty effectively, I went in on it. And again, it, that's built, that's based on me being very high on Luca. Again, with what Buster said, it's a risk. Like I knew with every dollar that I spent on these cards, that if Luca flames out tomorrow, you know, that this is going to be worthless. I was okay rolling the dice on that because again, the guys just destroys. Well, that one's that one's done pretty well so far. Yes, it has. Then I am really into. We've talked about like the Giannis. I've got some like sort of mainstream guys that are newer, but they're like in the older, newer class, like the Kevin Durant's and you know the Anthony Davises. But I'm really, really, really into players that I grew up liking and watching. So I'm going to share four cards here that I like, that I really enjoy. Amazing. I already showed you guys the Barclays, so we're gonna skip that one. But, so I grew up watching Hakeem Olajuwon. Like I loved Hakeem Olajuwon. And so buying his Fleer rookie was a card that I really, really 
wanted to get because I think Hakeem Olajuwon is going to go down as like a top five center of all time. And I remember him, people don't hype the guy, but, I, but the guy was drafted before Michael Jordan. He single-handedly denied uh, Shaq rings in Orlando and, and put a clinic on him, put a clinic on Ewing. I mean, there were two guys that really denied Patrick Ewing a ring, Hakeem and Jordan. That's it. So he's in really good company in that regard. So I'm really high on him, and I, and I bought that card. Again, I was priced out of the PSA 10. There's no ego in that for me whatsoever. I was fine with that. I was cool to be priced out of it. Got the PSA 9. Card appreciates because vintage does, and I've been really happy with it. PSA um, 9 for vintage is amazing. It's not. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of PSA 9, I, this is my, my first ever card purchase, and this was a major leap of faith that I don't think most people would would do this was a oh. PSA. yeah so this is like the jordan psa 9 rookie card whoa and that's a big one it's a big one and, and i bought it in january and wow our, round of applause for you i bought and our mutual friend gary told me that he was like get this card it was eight grand and i remember thinking to myself eight thousand for a car are you like out of your mind oh my god it took me like i'm not even kidding it took me a solid week of just mulling this over to get to purchase this card but michael jordan is my childhood defined you know and so the way that i justified this purchase and this is what worked for me was i said if this card devalues to zero down to zero and i have to take a bath I'm still going to walk away feeling excited to have a piece of memorabilia to Michael Jordan because he was so iconic to my childhood. And that's why I bought it. Of course, it's exploded and it is sort of considered the holy grail of cards now. So <laughs> I'm very lucky in that regard. But again, incredible I, timing with the quarantine and the last dance. Amazing. Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, I mean, here's a, a card, a classic card that's vintage that I don't it's weird. I don't have a huge connection to these guys, but I bought it because of the group chat that we're on. P people who are, again, all walks of life, educating me constantly. I started to see, and you know this because you were there, you're starting to see all this hype about this card. You know, the, 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 mm -hmm. the again, Dr. J was before my time. Magic Johnson was right before my time. And Larry Bird, again, these guys were hitting the end of their careers when I was a kid, like when Michael Jordan took over in 91, that's when I, as a kid, was watching basketball. Yep. So I, you know, like even growing up in LA, like Showtime Lakers don't really, like I think of the Lakers, I think of Kobe and Shaq, like that's the Lakers to me. Yeah. So this is not a card that I would ever instinctively bought, but because I have a community of friends around me who hyped the card up, Talked about the long-term growth. The hype was real on that card. The hype was real on that card. Very real. I got to tell you, once once I started to see people that I am talking to regularly buying that card aggressively, I thought, okay, I got this is a card I got to get into. And then, of course, you do your own research and you realize, like, it's not just our group chat. Everyone's pretty obvious. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you know, and, and again, this is where the research comes in because – this card is extremely valuable, but Fleer makes a 1986 Magic Johnson card, 
which I guess is not his rookie card, but it's in that 86 Fleer set. That, are you talking about the triple that just has yeah. him on it? Well, there's one that just has him solo on it. And I think it's 86 Fleer, but I don't think it's his rookie card. That was the card that I instinctively went to go buy. I'm like, Magic Johnson's iconic. I should own his card. And that's where, like, educating yourself comes in because a buddy of mine who's really smart with cards and is a purchaser and stuff was like, no, that's not the rookie. That's not the card you want. You know, it's not a bad card to own, but it's definitely not the card you want to get in on the first card. Right. It's like somebody putting all their money into a Bowman LeBron rookie. It's like, that's not great card. But that's, that ain't it. That ain't right. the problem. <laughs> and that's probably a great little segue to what I want to say about my purchasing, I guess, ideology. Because I'm new. Because I don't have that institutional, like, long-term thing. I don't buy variations of cards. I should. I don't. Because I am, at this stage in my life with cards i'm buying rookie cards i'm buying cards that are sort of iconic that i know are going to stand the test of time i am not seasoned enough yet to be like okay i have a lebron rookie what other lebron cards do i want to buy i'm not there yet and that's okay buying what you know is the best way not to lose right you're minimizing risk to an to a very impressive extent and that that i think is something to be to commend you for rather than you know, say that like you're not anywhere yet. Like that, that is a, everyone should only buy what they know until they know more and then buy what they know. Exactly. And I think, I think it's, you know, it's, it's calculated risk. I, Buster knows this. I've been on the hunt for a month for that LeBron James, Mellow Wade rookie card. And I am, yes. <laughs> yeah. I've been outbid on it. I've, I mean, I mean, like, literally, I almost had a PSA nine of it. It was like that snipe last second eBay thing. Those last five seconds are ruthless. Yeah, and and here's the thing, like, I don't ever get upset about it because I'm just like, look, like, I'm not gonna overspend to get this card, and if I have to deal with the disappointment of just having to wait longer until the right deal happens, then that's my path. You know, and that card flies on our group chat all day long and it's hard to see. And I'm like, everyone's got this card. But again, like everyone's position is different. Like you just cannot make your purchases based on what the person next to you is doing. Like that's the easiest way to get in trouble in this. In this business. So, Especially when like, let's say you, you bought that Jordan PSA 9 1986 Fleer rookie in January. I, you text it in the chat in April and I'm like oh great let me go buy it I'm buying it at four times the cost of what you yeah. bought it for it's two it's two separate worlds they're not comparable totally. so that's why you can't you just can never yeah you got to do your own research definitely look and ask people for advice and learn things but like me buying that card in April in contrast to you buying that in January it's two different cards right completely completely yeah so Again, I just, I, I take it all with like no ego and I'm, I, it's, it's, everything is a learning opportunity for me. And again, this is, this basketball heavy, maybe a little WWE for nostalgia. Those are, that's where I feel comfortable purchasing cards and, and it works for me. So, all right. so well, I was just about to drop some heat on me right now. I can I'm, already see it. I'm, I'm going to give you, you'll never hear, I'll show some like little stuff like Roger Federer. 2003 
uh, PSA DNA rookie net pro. Um, are you are you heavy on tennis? Is that like your thing? I love tennis. I'm not yeah. crazy about it. I just have like a lot of. I don't even know what I have here, but here here's what I wanted to show you. Yeah. You'll never guess. It's not a sport. Okay. But I consider it sports cards. I've only sent it in the chat one time. Okay. And uh, nobody said anything. I'm not gonna overlook this. All right. Nobody, nobody said anything about it when I did. I've explained this to other people privately, but I, so I, there's a completely separate market in collectibles, especially, I wouldn't even call it politics, but I would call it just in presidents in general. There's a really, really big uh, collector community when it comes to presidents. Wow, I had no idea. These right here, they look like cards. Yeah. They're in PSA DNA cases, and I have them signed by a bunch of presidents. So this is Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. Wow. President and First Lady. Here we have Bill Clinton dated and signed to. Is there anything on the back or is it just done? These are note cards for the most part. Wow. Wow. And they look they look look at the size between this Charizard and this card. They're the same size. That's I was a, I was an American politics major in college, so like this is way up my alley, actually. Gerald Ford. Wow, dude. Yeah, I got I got more with like Herbert Hoover. <laughs> oh my God. Herbert, that's like this, I, this was cut out out of a out of a letter that he sent. Holy shit! You are like literally holding history. George Bush first. Yep. Yep. Here, I'm gonna, I got one more. What got you into this? Um, How did you put a signed check from Benjamin Harrison from 1899. Oh my God. So let me, let me explain though. Let me give a little bit more context as to why yeah. I'm doing this when nobody else You blew is. my mind, dude. Like you blew my mind right now. Essentially, I look at them just like cards. There have only been what, 45 presidents. So 45 presidents, 450 NBA players times 60 seasons. There are 45 presidents. They have the most power. They're the most famous. And some of them don't sign that much. And a lot of the guys, especially older guys, their signatures, although, so it, it, it's kind of interesting. And I say this every time because the newer the president, the more recent the president was in office from Clinton to Trump, the rarer the autograph is Why because is everything they do is digital. So Obama, it's almost impossible to find an Obama autograph because uh, he didn't sign anything. Everything was digital. Whereas back in the day, like a Lincoln autograph is 10 times more expensive than an Obama granted, but there's a chance that there are more Lincoln autographs out there than Obama's because Lincoln used to say like, sign a, a thank you note for coming to dinner. Coming to break. Well, these are these are obviously cut out of other things like Correct. letters, things that they yep. did. Yep. Uh, does the source affect the price? Like, if where it's cut out of change the valuation of it? For older guys, a hundred percent. But for the for like this bush, this is literally just an index card. Like it has. Right. Nothing. There's right, nothing right. special about that. Um, but for something like the clinton this was actually off a photo you can see on the back it's a photo yeah um so that does have some effect also if they dated it that has an effect and if they wrote anything else like he wrote thanks 
Um, that obviously has, has a little unreal. bit of effect, but they remind me of sports cards. So the reason that I am bullish on them is that a, they're very cheap because that sports card market hasn't hit the president autograph market. Um, B because they look just like cards and C I just like it. I'm also a fan of history and presidents and not as much politics, but more so just like the, or like the whoa factor of presidents and kind of the power and impact that they had. So that is something that I'm, um, I, I gotta tell you, like I genuinely had a, a, a wow reaction to that Woodrow Wilson card. I mean, there's just, there's just something. I love that you refer to it as a card. <laughs> yeah, whatever. The, yeah. Well, I, there's just something really surreal about, I mean, I, you are literally owning a piece of American history right there. And like you said, there's just, maybe it's saturated with the older guys because they signed more stuff. I don't care. There's only 45 of them. You know what I mean? Okay. So like you said, like, when I say saturated, I'm not talking about like LeBron rookie population. I'm talking like there are a couple hundred. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. As opposed to like a couple. I'm literally buying my first presidential signature card the minute we get <laughs> off this call. I'm not even kidding you. I'm going to text you the purchase too. So, you know, I'm not. I, will. Yeah. Um, Actually, and you know I remember you sending that now in the group chat and I remember seeing that and I thought that was a joke, like a meme about cards. Like, oh, this is the next thing that's going to go down. And so I remember laughing and thinking like, well, that's, that's not real. And now to know that it is, it's just, it's mind blowing, you know? Really real. Um, my other big guy, you know, I'll, I'll flip through them quickly. Pikachu. Yeah. My guy. Um, well, like, can you explain to me for someone who does not, who did not grow up with Pikachu, it was the generation right after me, how the valuation works and, and how that compares to like the basketball market yeah. that so, so for example um I'll, I'll just give a little bit of background context to pokemon as a whole it's the number one entertainment franchise of all time it's made 90 billion in the last 20 years star wars is number two at 40 billion in the last 40 years wow it's a global brand started in japan in 1995 launched in the u.s in 1999 right this is the card that you want this is the psa nine of the card this is the pikachu pikachu is the face of the brand from a character standpoint it's ash who's like the trainer guy, but Pikachu's the, the main one. Got it. Um, and then there's another guy who's pretty popular, Charizard. I flashed one of his right, These are names that I've heard forever. Obviously Pikachu, but I've heard Charizard too. And I like... Yeah. So Charizard is the most expensive. Charizard first edition like this is, in a PSA 10 is 80 to 100 grand. Why and is that? that? Why is that card the most expensive? Because it's from the first edition set. It's a hollow, which means it's holographic. There are fewer of them, and they're very rare, highly sought after, just just like anybody else. He's like the Michael Jordan or the uh, Charizard's probably more like a Honus Wagner, whereas Pikachu right. is Michael Jordan. Um, this is a first edition red cheeks. So the cheeks, as you can see here, are red, as wow. opposed to um, here. Let me find one that's yellow, as opposed to this one, which the cheeks are yellow. Wow. Oh my so red cheeks is more valuable than the yellow cheeks. This is a red cheeks first edition PSA nine. Uh, I believe they're in the range of fifteen hundred to two thousand each um, for for red cheeks nines and tens are in the range of eight to twelve thousand. Wow. Um, so that that is the context there. But to quickly go through some of the others, yeah, the first edition 
of a different Pikachu set. They're just, I'll just quickly flash through so you can see all the different artwork. This is a birthday Pikachu. Um, PSA 10. Can I ask you a question about this in terms of like, if they, is there a concern ever, and maybe there's not, I don't know, about overprinting all of that? Because in theory, they could, they could do that, right? I guess these they could all, do basketball cards too, though. These are all vintage though. Oh, they are? Yeah, okay. all of them. Like these are all from 1999, the first wow. ever print. I pretty, like this, even the other first edition ones, like these are all pretty much all 1999 or 2000. So first or second year. Um, and that's what really protects everybody. Like they can't ever print more 1986 Jordan rookies the same exactly. way they can't print more 1999 Pikachus. Um, exactly. That's good to know. So yeah, man. This I'm, is a perfect yeah. example of where like I, someone that I know and trust being you. Oh my God, what are those? So Nintendo owns Pokemon. Uh, they also own a game called Mario. Right. And uh, they combined the two for this one set. It's a Mario and Luigi Pikachu. Is that just like through the roof valuation? Uh, not actually. I actually just bought a second set yesterday. No way, wow. <laughs> so I have two more on the way. Um, I think that we're going to see a whole series of like Nintendo cards coming out at some point too, because that's another like vintage world that I don't really see that much of. Probably not, um, but I hope so. This is yeah. a cool one. This is from actually 1998, so before it launched in the U.S., it's all in Japanese. Wow. This is from a vending machine in Japan. The it's artwork, the, it looks different. The artwork looks different. Like, it's called the Uyama Pikachu, and it's from 98. Even the back is different from the normal card. Wow, dude, that's so pretty. unreal. So somebody got this out of a vending machine. It's a PSA 10 um, in Japan in 1998, and then somehow it was able to hold up condition. Unbelievable. Here's another one from before it launched in the U.S., also in Japanese, from 1998. Yeah. Called the Bumblebee Pikachu because he looks like a bumblebee from Top of Buzz. Um, let me see if there are any other special ones I want to show. Um, this one is a cool one. This is actually the most valuable Pikachu I have. Why is that? It's because you might be able to see there's a tiny, tiny stamp. Um, uh, there's a little bit of glare, but there's a tiny stamp right there that says E3. Okay. And that means that it was from the very first convention in the U.S. And they did these special edition ones for that E3 convention. I'm sure you've heard of the actual event itself, but yeah. um, the pop is about 50. No, wow. And wow. it's, and it's uh, Red Cheeks. Oh, so I have the Yellow like Cheeks here too, but Red Cheeks is the one. Um, that is like the one. Here's that's the Yellow great. Cheeks of the E3. Um, do you buy most of your stuff on, on eBay or do you buy it through like third-party vendors or Facebook groups or things like that? I buy most from eBay and then okay. I buy some from, um, from friends and other collectors and I mostly sell like in person to people as well. So like no I, have, I have sold a bunch of Pokemon right now even. There are probably 15, 20 cards I have listed all over. Like even this... PSA 9 Charizard I'm selling right now so that I can buy more Pikachus. <laughs> how often do you do that? How often do you, when you're sitting on a card that's like, let's just say it's really up, how mm. often do you say, I'm going to like sell this card, I'm going to take the profit, and I'm going to diversify into six cards that are maybe half the valuation, but I can get more out of that? Like what? Right. Like 
here, here's an example I'm going to give. Everybody, even in our group, is so hot on this guy. This is a Kevin Durant, not BGS 9-5 rookie. I know that card too well. Yeah, I don't, I don't own it, but I know that card very well. So this is a card, it's going to go up. And that's right. a beautiful thing. I can't wait for the person that I sell this to to make money off of me. Right, right. I don't want anybody to lose money that I'm selling a card to. I Same. want to do well. So right. somebody's going to buy this from me. They're going to make money. And I'm going to put this into five to six cards, probably half Pikachu, half other stuff. And I think I'm going to do better on those five to six. On average, one of them might even be a KD. Maybe I'll buy a silver PSA 10 hollow of his first year with the Nets if I think he's going to win a title next year. You know, like that is a game that I'm, I, I do frequently play because, yes, this will go up a ton, but five to six doubling in value – or one doubling in value at a higher. It's I had this exact same conversation with Dan Fleischman, who is in our group chat, about that same player, but not that card. It was this card, which I had bought a 10, this, the, the sort of standard Kevin Durant 10. Yep. Dan was stacking nines. And I said, why are, you buying, like, why are you buying nines? And he said the exact same thing. He said, listen, that 10 is going to go up. There's no question. But as that 10 goes up, it's going to bring the nines and the eights up with it. So if I can buy a bunch of nines right now that are priced really low, when everything goes up a year or two years from now, and that 10 becomes like a, an unattainable, it's just too expensive to own, he goes, I make more money on the volume of the nines than I would in owning maybe two tens that go up. And so that's, that's really been the seed of my thought of like, well, at what point do you start selling a little bit to be able to like diversify out more? So, so true. It's, it's the classic rubber band effect. This is all so common in, in Pikachu. It's the PSA four, five, six, seven are going crazy right now because the tens are priced out. I'm yeah, it's We were talking about this. I own some PSA three, and fours in the ultra vintage world like it has to be really really like for example i'll show you this guy you know like my like, like but it, but that's, it's a, that's a nice guy right there but it's a psa4 you know and it's like hey that's still a very nice card you know that yeah, i was totally priced out of the five and the six on the luau cinder and i was like that's cool like i'm cool owning a four like that's that's gonna be my card and i i don't know that i feel the need to like buy a five or a six now that i own that one but if this card really appreciates that i might sell it and and diversify out a little bit more so 100 100 percent. the the rubber band effect is very real with all grades exactly. yeah but again i just i just really like i for me it's i think getting into it as a new guy um really was about finding trusted sources to learn from that's just like everything to me i really really struggled with that because there's just so much information out there and i think one of the things that people if i could give any advice to anyone who's just starting out who wants to get into it besides the fact that it's and you and i have talked about this a million that's not too late like get in right. now it's not too late yeah. um is reading up about trend what cards are trending and why they've trended that that taught me a lot i spent a lot of time reading like why did a kobe bryant tops chrome rookie trend the way that it did and then couldn't afford a, a kobe chrome so i bought the kobe regular tops psa 9 that's the card yeah. that i could afford you know and 
And I bought that because I saw the way a card in the same group was exploding. And it's in similar to the KD 10, nine theory. I thought, okay, as that card hits the stratosphere, it's going to pull these other cards up. And that's where I want to be positioned at. That was strategy for me. I could have spent $6,000 on a car that may have gone up a little bit, but that wasn't where I wanted to be. So I bought my, my singular Kobe Bryant PSA nine that I love to death, you know, cause I'm a Laker fan here in LA and that's what we roll with, you know? So. I love that, man. Yeah. It's smart. You know, I, I think to, to the story that you told about talking to Dan, stacking those eights and nines at volume and being able to move those a lot easier is, you know, what's inevitably, inevitably going to pay off bigger. So super, super good point for everybody just getting into it now and not to hedge way too hard on that 10 or put way too much emphasis on getting that 10. Um, remove the ego. Don't hedge it. Remove the ego. Surround yourself with people who genuinely want to see you win, who genuinely want to see you make money, um, who are going to support you in that endeavor because you feed off that energy. You learn from each other. You feed off it. It's like you said, you, you want to see someone buy that Kevin Durant and like appreciate through the roof on it. And like, that's, that, that's the mindset of people that I, I want to surround myself with and do. So, you know, that's, again, that's the card community of people that I would suggest you get in, you get around you. And by the way, like I've gone to the Burbank sports card shop here in LA um, walked in and met really cool people who I have did never even knew who were totally willing to like drop knowledge on me on like a random Monday afternoon because they were like, Oh, this guy is genuinely interested. They're not dicks. They're going to make cool. Let's, let's talk about it, you know? And so it was, it was, again, I find the community is actually very welcoming to people. And yeah. something that's very true in general, and this goes, you know, much bigger than sports cards, but people, love talking about what they're passionate about, especially oh. when it comes to a hobby. Right. When it comes to a hobby like sports cards, people, myself, yourself, we'll all talk for days, days on end about what we love in terms of sports cards and our hobby. So, you know, for for anybody, you know, out there who who wants to get into it, talk to people who are passionate about it. I'm more than happy. You know, Nima here is more than happy we're all more than happy to talk about cards because we live and breathe it. We love just talking about it. And even, and I, I really do think one of the reasons that people love talking about their passion so much is they find new ways to articulate things that they didn't even think prior just in conversation with this person or that person. So people are really, really, really willing, especially in the sports card community, but in hobbies and passions in general to just drop knowledge because people love talking about what they're passionate about. Totally, man. I'm getting DMs all day long from people these days who are telling me, oh, I've got these cards in my attic. Like, what do you think? And the first thing I always say is I am still learning. I'm not an expert and should not be taken as such. But I direct them to articles and people that will genuinely be able to help them. Like, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've sent that 137 p.m. article that talks about, like, your old cards in your attic, how to quantify those things. Like, I've seen like 10 people who've sent me messages being like, I want to learn about car. I have these yeah, cards. That I, I got to start sending that one to people too. It's, it's a great, it's great. It's great reference. So. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, about you and, and yeah. your background. How did you get started in the, in the LA and commercial area? Cause I think 
you know, totally, man. I was, I was um, in corporate America, hated it, knew I wanted out of it. I thought I wanted to go to law school at one point. Like I was a lost soul, dude, like completely. I had no idea what I was doing. And an opportunity came to own a company that was like a talent management company, like putting actors on set. My ex at the time had worked in that. She was lateraling. And was like, oh, I wish someone wanted to learn this business. I would totally teach them. And I was so desperate to like get out of corporate. I was like, teach me. And so she did. We we the company exploded from year one. It was profitable and like really profitable to where it's been ten years that we own the company. From that, wow. I started working with my clients who were producers, commercial production people, branded content experts, and I was kind of on the front row like watching these people do that and and being like i want to do that i want to do what you do and so pushed my way through because i don't like getting no for an answer so i just pushed my way through started jumping into productions flew up the ladder all of a sudden was getting like real major stuff underneath my belt to where i prepped multi-million dollar super bowl commercials like I can do it like in my sleep now, but it took me a minute to get there and really fell out of love with big broadcast productions. Like I hate the bureau. I mean, I, I always give this example. I had a, a client on a shoot, a French couture client who I'm not going to name because they wouldn't appreciate it. Like get, this is a $2 million commercial. We're literally shooting at the same house they shot the November Rain Guns N' Roses music video in, right? Which is the only thing I give a shit about in this entire day is like, that's where like Slash was. Mm -hmm. And they like freaked out because the four, I'm not exaggerating this, the forks in the back of the shot, like there's this long table and the silverware <laughs> at the back was not French silverware. And they were like, that's a big deal. Like this is from France. And I remember having this thought in my mind being like, nobody cares about this commercial. Like literally no one cares what we're doing. No one's ever going to see this. And that was the first moment where I'm like, I love what I do, but I'm in the wrong side of this. And so I'm pivoting my whole career to digital content. I mean, I think I'll give That's you a, a good story, by the way. Very direct. So good. I think there's more value for a brand to partner with Hoops Nation than there is, I genuinely believe this, to partner with Hoops Nation and cut some content with Hoops Nation, digital content, or 1.37 PM, or these brands that are sort of like culture brands, right? Then it is to go and try to shoot a commercial in LA, have to worry about buying ad space. People have DVR. First of all, the next generation doesn't even fuck with TV at all. They've all watched Netflix and also they don't- A lot of people right now don't. Right, and then the people that do, like I work in commercials and I still DVR through commercials. You know what I mean? Unless it's right. one that I did and I'm like, oh cool, that's that thing we did. So digital branded is like, it's, it's where, it's how people are digesting media now. And so for me, like a Hoops Nation provides so much more value to like, let's just say I'm launching a sneaker brand and I wanna get some traction on it. Partnering with you is so much more valuable to me as an as a up and coming sneaker brand than trying to go shoot some content in LA, spending a fortune and then hoping that people see it, you know what I mean? And they probably won't or they probably won't care. So It is also much easier online to quantify how 
how many people see stuff, how many people engage, how many people directly convert. Unless you're using like a code or some sort on TV, it's exactly. hard to tell how many people even came from the place. I, I remember watching an interview with Jeff Bezos from, I think it was like 1996, and he talked about why they stopped advertising. They used to do ads in the New York Times, like they would write out the URL at the bottom and people would like click on it if it was online or they would type it in if it was print. And he explained that they stopped doing it for Amazon at the beginning because you couldn't track anybody. You don't know where the hell people are coming from and you can't, you need to be able to run things based on data. And if you have no data, but you have nothing. Totally. And so now with my career, like I'm actually, I, I work really well with talent. I think it's just having had the background of owning a talent management company. So I'm, positioning myself now to start directing more content and and really being on being the guy that is responsible to sit with the talent and just be able to like talk through it i was i was very fortunate to roll for like two years with adidas originals and they were putting me it was like me the director and the client were going in to like sit with 21 savage you know what i mean and just like and great that was that was Aaron's project. He was a director. It was his vision, but I was getting a front row seat to those conversations and how that creative is massaged out. And you know, like with young rappers, like authenticity is everything, everything to these guys. Like the minute they they sniff you out as a phony, like they don't they don't want to mess with you at all. So it was such a like like learning hard knocks type of thing that I'm now like between that. And the Bravo thing, like, I feel very well positioned to be able to, like, go onto a set, sit with a talent, connect with them, and be able to, like, deliver what we think is the best message for a brand. And hopefully in a way that's that's authentic and not phony, you know, so. So you mentioned, obviously, staying super authentic, but what are some other key things that you always remind yourself of when going into work with talent on developing some sort of commercial or idea or project around Well, you have to remember in branded content, a lot of the creative is massaged at the agency level. So before production comes in. So if there's an ad agency, they have their executives and their creatives who are working directly with the client. So by the time we come in to like execute the creative, it's already been done for me. In fact, I had a friend, I asked them specking, I'm spec directing a commercial for a friend and one of the things he told me, he was like, look, we're going to give you a chance on this, but do, you're not going to like go off on a tangent. Like we spent two years market testing this idea and put it up against five other ideas, took meetings with every ad agency in New York City. So like, we're not going to let some like up and coming director be like, this is what I want to do. It's like not going to happen, you know? So, so I think my number one thing is like trying to be aware of what the brand what they self-identify as. Like really at the end of the day, like what is their message? What do they want to convey? And then how can you bring that to life in your own unique way, but still respecting the work that they've done, like the very hard work that they've done. And then, you know, believe it or not, man, like I am such a, I'm such a proponent of being a kind-hearted, good person and like surrounding myself with people that I think genuinely respect hard work and want to want to see people win like if i want to see you win and i want to see hoops nation win then like i genuinely wanted to see adidas originals win when i was rolling with them i wouldn't have taken those jobs because to be honest i was working till two in the morning every night on those jobs 
Yeah, but I genuinely wanted to see them win. Like they were cool people and I loved the ad agency that represented them. So I think that when you can connect those things, it makes it a lot better. You know, the, the jobs that I did not care about, the big broadcast jobs where the client was kind of, a, you know, they were kind of jerks. Those were the most miserable jobs for me where you were just going through the motions of it, you know? So finding a way to like, be empathetic to the brand and trying to really genuinely help it grow has been the most rewarding thing when I'm stepping onto a set and trying to, cause really as like, as I, as I grow into this director role, like you really are responsible for that. It's a, it's a huge responsibility that you carry I on. Bet. Yeah. I mean, like think about hoops nation, like think about, so let's just use hoops nation as a, as a total micro example here. Yeah. So hoops nation is a brand you built through like sweat, blood, equity, tears, like, you know, years of just doing it on your own. And let's say you entrust me with a shoot. Like, you know, this is what we want to do. This is the concept we want to have. And we want you to help us with it. Well, like, that's a huge vote of confidence for me. And I take that really seriously. So, like, now I don't really care about, like, my reel of, like, well, this is going to be really good for me. I don't, like, that doesn't ever factor into yeah, my head. Think about my thought is, like, well, how can I, how do I make Buster walk away from this being, like, that's the best thing we've been a part of. I'm so glad we did that. And so I guess, I've, I guess that's just been how I've operated with, with company and why I think I've just been able to like be successful at it. So I love that. Yeah. I always say, you know, and I, I just, I, I try to notice these things when I see them and it's always the, uh, the people who end up doing the best are the people who, when they call, when they send you an email, they're like, uh, hi Nima, I really, uh, these are the two examples. Uh, hi, Nima. I really like your work. I was wondering if uh, you could come on the phone with me and give me some advice for these things I'm trying to do. That's example one. Example two is, hi, Nima. I really love your work and I'd love to help you in any way possible. I'd love to, you know, like provide value for you, anything that you need. Let me know. I'm here for you. You know, and the difference is just lots of eyes and being very selfish, especially when you're reaching out to somebody and offering value. And the people that offer value always win. It's just too obvious. Yet 75% of people do option one. Yeah. And I think I, you're 100% dead on. And I actually like had a conversation like that recently with someone. And I said, look, I want, this is where I want to grow. And I, I have a lot to learn, but I want to be able to help you in any way that I can. And I'm not worried about being paid. Like I, it's not, it's not for me. It's, it's what I would gain in coming there and being able to work alongside a team that I respect is like so much and being able to provide hopefully real value to you because at this point I can prep shoots in my sleep. And so like, I can help. That's something that from day one I can do for you. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that like that vote of confidence is, is huge. And so you have to be able to inspire people to want to help you a little bit. And the one thing I'll say is that when I've been on those shoots that I like did not like, like where it's just like the client sucks, the shoot sucks, everything sucks. And I, and <laughs> I just, like, not too many. No, I mean, it, it is, it, they're, they've been there and uh, been there. I oftentimes will have a moment where I'm like frustrated and I will stop and I'll try to find a, a place of like appreciation where I'm like, look, you're not in an office. 
you know? And then no disrespect to anybody who is in an office, but I'm like, you're on a, a set on the back lot of like Universal Studios right now, shooting a commercial. You should be so lucky. Like this is like, like the fact that like the universe blessed you with this opportunity don't you have no place to complain about anything and believe it or not that like really humbles me because I remind myself that like I, nothing is is guaranteed and I my place here is replaceable like that so the fact That's that I'm here yeah exactly so that really helps me and I do have those like pinch yourself moments on sets where you know we shot with U2 and we recreated a U2 concert one That's time so like little like I'm standing next to Bono on stage and he turns to me and he like asks me some random question and I'm like Holy shit. Like, is Bono asking me, like, a random, like, when's lunch? You know what I mean? Like, that, like, it's just the most surreal, like, those are your, those are your pinch yourself moments that you're like, I'm really lucky to do what I do. So, he's a lovely guy, by the way. So. That's, well, that, that's, both of those things are great to hear. Yeah, yeah. Um, my last question for you here is, sure. best advice, majority of people that listen to this podcast are 15 to 25 Sure. What would you tell yourself? Let's just drop dead right in the middle. I'm 20. So what would you tell me or anybody at age 20, what your best advice would be for? Well, you're the worst example. You're I'm chill. terrible. I'm, I'm. Yeah, awful. you're a bad example. But, but that makes me proud to be your friend. I will say two things. Number one, undoubtedly, without a question, like the number one piece of advice I would give to anyone is you are the company that you keep, period. If you're around people who are, if you have five busters in your life and you're 20 years old, you will be the sixth dude who's creating a, a hoops nation of your own. If you're around five people who are just doing nothing in their lives, I don't care about, this has nothing to do with money or jobs. I'm talking about like the hustle, the mentality. You will ultimately adopt in many ways the mentality of the people that are around you. So keep that circle very, very, be cognizant of the energy that's around you and then get a mentor and ideally a mentor in a space that you, I know that's been said a million times, but like there's a reason that it's been said a million times. Like let's say you don't have any idea what you want to do. Like you're 20 years old. I had no idea what I was 20. I was totally clueless. I would have benefited so much by just go like mentoring with someone, even if it wasn't in the industry that I wanted to do, who just had the work ethic that I needed at 20 years old. It took me like hard knocks to get to this point. Mm -hmm. And I just surrounded myself with somebody, let's say like I met you and you're older than me and I have no interest in like digital media and hoop station, that shit just means nothing to me. Right. The fact that I could have like learned from your hustle and been like, listen Buster, I wanna be your assistant for two years. I'm gonna be your assistant and I'm just gonna be around Here's what comes with that. Being around you, being around your work ethic, being around your mentality, and then being around your network. Because you, you as Buster are gonna find out very quickly if, if my dedication is real or not. And assuming that it is, and you're like, wow, this kid's putting in work, he really means it. The amount of connections, relationships I'm gonna get, the amount of opportunities that are gonna come from that where let's just say I'm like, you know what, dude, like I'm actually really interested in real estate and you've got a buddy who works in real estate and you're like, listen, this kid's been assisting me for two years. He's the real deal, take him on. That's the best thing you can possibly do in your 20s is go and mentor. I mean, like Gary Vee puts that video up where he, that guy says, can I come work for you? I mean, the balls of steel that kid asked, you know, where he's like, in a, uh, and it's like, 
that's what it takes because that kid realized like I'm uprooting my life to New York City is much more valuable to me in that moment. And you worked for Gary, you know what I mean? Like you're a prime example of what I'm talking about. So really keep, keep that company, find a mentor, find someone who believes in you and champions you and, and get rid of anybody who is negative towards you. Self-doubt is a real thing. I still deal with self-doubt to this day. So like if I have my own self-doubt, I don't give a shit about your negative feelings towards me. Like whatever I'm doing, like as long as I'm not harming myself or somebody else, like if this is what I want to do, I don't care what you have to say about it at all. Right. So. I think that's great advice. And I I put it, you know, very similarly, but you know, in, in my head, I'm like, does somebody make me happier? Okay, cool. I'll hang out with that person more. Does somebody make me less happy? That's it. And sometimes it can be a trick because sometimes somebody can make you happy 20 times in a row and then they can, then something changes. And that's just something you learn. It's something that I learned, but you just got to, like you said, be super cognizant of those things and make sure that like, when I say happy, I don't just mean like smiling and laughing a lot and enjoying myself. Like for me, somebody making me happy is somebody motivating me, somebody, um, who's teaching me things like, or somebody who were, were co-learning from each other, like whatever it is, that's what my happy is. So figuring out what you're, making sure that you're happy is productive. And then I, I think those, those, uh, those terms, uh, that terminology works, but that's how I look at it. But it's a learned thing and you gotta, you gotta mess up to figure it out and just be and grateful. Don't feel, don't feel discouraged if you are listening to this and you haven't pieced that together yet. Like it took me, years beyond 20 to piece that um but yeah man like kindness is just such a thing dude like it's just it's just one of those things where i don't even like you know i, I a friend of mine values kindness a lot and his he had a trainer over and the trainer like helped me out too and i was like hey man thank, thank you so much like that was really cool of your trainer who's like here to work you out like it's helping me out it's very kind of him and he goes he looked at me kind of surprised and he's like i don't have anybody in my life who's not like a positive kind of person like it was very matter of fact and i remember thinking like that's, that's where I need to be in my life. Like, I don't have the like, same thing. Like, does it make you happy? Are they going to support you? you know? So end of story. And that's the same rule for dating, by the way, for anyone who's out there listening, like everyone's going to have ups and downs, but if you are with someone, guy or girl who does not support you and, and you don't champion them, then it's not meant to be period. Looks will fade. Everything will change. Don't judge people on stupid shit like that. It's, is someone at the end of the day going to make you happy and make you better and challenge you to be better? And that's really, that's it. All you is, need. That, is that also your best relationship advice? Or is there anything else to add to that? 100%. That's something I want to touch on more. 100%. So I, I operated for years from a place of insecurity where I was chubby and all I cared about was having a pretty girlfriend and that's all that I wanted. Those were the most stressful relationships in my life. No disrespect to them. We just, when you're putting that as the primary factor for why you want to date someone, it's doomed. Now what I look for and what I, what I, and my ex was like this is somebody who is kind hearted, somebody who approaches life, from the lens of like gratitude and empathy and kindness, because what's going to happen is that when you guys go through some real shit and I'm talking like 
real shit. Like, let's say someone gets sick in your family. God forbid you guys have kids and some a kid gets sick. Real stuff. That's where someone's empathy and kindness and their heart is going to shine. You don't want somebody who's going to be selfish or or not care what you're going through. And that, and on a micro level, like let's say you want to get into basketball cards and you want somebody who's going to be like, Hey, that's really cool. Like not shame you for being into that. You know what I mean? Like, so again, it's just about, 100%. you really hit it on the nail. Like it's, it's, does this person make you happy? And then having the wherewithal to realize like, what is, what's real happiness, you know? And if you can connect those things, my approach to dating and my approach to like a friend are the exact same thing. 100% the same thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons people always say that they end up marrying their best friend. 100% dude. Totally. Yeah. Without a doubt. So it's funny. Anyways, I think that's a great way to close this one out. Um, I know people can find you at Nima Vand on Instagram, N-E-M-A-V-A-N-D, and Off Brand, the podcast. Is there Wait, anywhere? Which you're going to make a cameo on very soon. We're very Ooh. excited to have that. It's not about cards, but it's about life and all of that. So when, when you get Absolutely. out here, we're going to make that happen. So. I'm, I'm excited about that. I'll be in LA uh, next week. Do it next week. There you go. I think we have it tentatively on the books, but I'll I'll confirm with you. I think we I think we have for the something. We'll figure yeah. it out. <laughs> I think we have it on. Um, all right, my friend. Thank you so much again for coming on. You're the best, man. Thank you for having me. Such a great time chatting with you. Cards, life, everything. Really appreciate you. Boom. Till next time. Okay. All right.